0: Hello and welcome to the AMBOSS podcast, Beyond the Textbook. Every two weeks, experts from AMBOSS, the medical education platform, interview medical students and healthcare professionals to showcase international perspectives on everything in medical school and beyond the textbook. Welcome to the AMBOSS podcast, Beyond the Textbook. I'm your host, AMBOSS Partnerships Manager, Dr. Tanner Schrank. Our esteemed guest today is one of the founders of AMBOSS and the director of medical, Dr. Zevert Weiss. Medical education has changed a ton in the last decade since AMBOSS was founded. Today, we sat down with one of the co-founders of AMBOSS to discuss what has changed since then, how he sees medical education and AMBOSS evolving in the next year, and he always has insightful advice and study strategies for medical students around the world. So, Zevert, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Tana. It's such a pleasure to be on our very own show. (laughs) Yes. First time. Yeah. So you've accomplished a ton of achievements in your career, getting a medical degree in Germany, studying at London School of Economics, volunteering in India with the Institute for Indian Mother and Child, also doing clinical rotations around the world, Lisbon, Zurich, Sao Paulo, investing in startups and venture capital. And of course, in 2012, co-founding the medical education company AMBOSS, Now, with such a diverse and global journey that you've had, I'm curious to hear what your most unexpected challenge has been. Yeah,
1: that's a very good question and not so easy to answer. I do think, like, overall, I would say... Finding my place in this world has been maybe the most unexpected challenge. And I mean, as you've said, I've done a ton of different things, mostly because I felt those were interesting things for me. I did not have like a master plan in mind that all these things would follow and add up to a certain goal or so. They just sparked my interest. So ultimately, it comes from the place of me not being 100% satisfied with the outlook of being a clinical practitioner on Mm -hmm. the wards or in the hospital. And so I was trying to find a different perspective for me. And I did find it, (laughs) obviously, Mm -hmm. but also accepting that maybe working as a clinically practicing physician might not be How I want to spend my life, I think, has been the most challenging realization for me. And then diving into, okay, what does that then mean for me? And how can I build a different perspective is challenging because you are expected, at least I think in most of the countries that's the case, you are expected when you study medicine to be that physician, that clinically practicing physician. And we don't go to like medical school to study medical sciences and then know how we can apply medical sciences to all the different fields where you might need it, but we study medicine to become a physician. And so it's very, very difficult, I think, overall for everyone to think about deviating from that very well-trodden and very expected
0: path. Yeah. That's a very good point. And I think staying curious and not being okay with the status quo is hugely important for everyone, especially medical students and clinicians. You don't have to be satisfied with exactly what situation you're in. Maybe you want to go down a different path. Maybe you want to find your own place and what you're doing at the moment might not be the best usage of that. Yeah, agreed. So let's go back 10 years. You're starting out with Amboss as a medical education platform in Germany. You're breaking into this medical education world. You're really disrupting the way students are learning medicine. And fast forward to today, now Amboss has users around the world. We have an English platform, a German platform. We're introducing a Spanish search option. How do you see medical education and AMBOSS specifically evolving even more in 2023 and then in the future? Yeah, I mean, the question is, what do we consider medical education to
1: be? As you said, AMBOSS has evolved a ton in the past 10 years. I'm not sure medical education has evolved to the same extent. I mean, if you consider us being part of like medical education, then maybe yes. I would hope for also the institutional medical education to actually develop quite a bit, probably not in the next year. That's maybe a bit too ambitious, but like overall in the next five to 10 years to accept that we cannot teach medicine in the way we taught it for the past, whatever, 100, 200 years, right? Because right. it's humanly impossible to master all those facts. And and we should rather accept that maybe mastering those facts can be to some degree outsourced so that we can work again as the human beings in medicine that we are and and what will really make a difference. So with empathy, communication, and so on and so forth. And Obviously, that has a ton of ripple effects on what that means for medical education. So basically cramming less facts, understanding more of the basics, what will be the skills of the future, like data literacy and and so on. And where do I get my knowledge from in the future if it's doubling every 73 days or so? Mm -hmm. Like that will be part of that. I do think that the teaching part can Mm -hmm. be outsourced. The theoretical knowledge can be outsourced and very efficiently so. I do think there will always need to be a a practical component, obviously, right? Like medicine is a very hands-on field. So that is definitely something you cannot replace digitally, in my opinion. And so that opens up, I think, the field for, you know, we can scale basically the theoretical part of medical school and we can partner with local hospitals or so around the world. If this is AMBOSS
0: or anyone else, but like the general Mm -hmm. concept, I think, could be established very well. Yeah, that hits the nail on the head. We have to get better at teaching people how to be empathetic and how to put the patient first. And I really like your point about pulling everyone together because it's not going to come from one area alone. And we can use multiple sectors, I think, too, you know, like the developments in AI and robotics, they can diagnose people just fine with that. But then Mm -hmm. I don't think the physician's ever going to go out of style, you know, because Mm -hmm. there is an important human touch to it. And I think that's where the focus should be in the future. Yeah, totally
1: agree. I mean, just to emphasize this point again, I do think we can basically make medicine in the end more human again with using more of the digital tools that we have at hand already and that we will in the near future. So focus on what is innately human and Mm -hmm. what can be replaced by certain tools, obviously tools that need to be trustworthy and so on and where we know the basis of them. But yeah, there's this strong
0: opportunity here. Yeah. Absolutely. And that connects to my next question. So Walter's Kluwer predicts that telehealth will be one of the key pillars of healthcare technology in 2023. Now, with this conversation about going digital and using our digital tools to make healthcare human, do you see the world of medicine and medical education going more remote and more digital in the next year in the near future? I mean, there's now the medicine component as well. I mean, I think medical
1: education, I would definitely say yes. Again, partially, right? The theoretical part, the practical not. But for medicine, that involves then different stakeholders again, right? Practicing medicine and that means patients and healthcare systems overall. I don't think telehealth will go away and there are tremendous opportunities, especially when it comes to a certain way of scaling these efforts, but also reachability, like with rural populations all over the world, basically or with different workforces in in different geographies that can basically work on a global scale. I think that is super interesting. And that is a question of balancing, basically, capacities. I do think that, again, this is a facilitator. And for some areas, this is highly needed and will be a crucial component. I do think that, again, this obviously will not be... Replacing everything, we still want in-person care and we need in-person care also to understand the full dimension of certain diseases or conditions. But overall, I think, you know, we, we can and we do see a shift already more towards remote efforts, right? Like not everyone has to go into the hospital and not everyone has to see the physician live. And so mm-hmm. with shortage of healthcare staff, wherever you look, that can obviously
0: alleviate the mm-hmm. problems that we currently have. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I think that people need to stay on the forefront of that, too, because like you said, it's not going away. So my personal experience with AMBOSS, I found out about it in 2018 when I was studying medicine here in Poland. So a lot of times I hear from students and even physicians, they find out about AMBOSS and then they hear that it's a German company with content based on USMLE guidelines. But there are students around the world successfully using AMBOSS to study with the library, to test themselves with the question bank. Do you think medical education really changes from region to region? Is it really that different in different countries? Or I like to think of human anatomy as being universal. So learning medicine is kind of universal. But I could also see a push for more localized medical education in the future. What do you think about all that?
1: Yeah, I would agree that overall medical knowledge theoretically can be the same globally, although there are biases, there are certain stereotypes, there are certain prevalences of diseases in certain populations and differ quite a lot from one country to the next. So the knowledge needed or the sophistication of the knowledge needed will obviously differ quite a bit. But overall, taking all of that knowledge together, that would obviously still be the same, right? Like if you have a lot of experience on certain tropical diseases in tropical countries, then that's beneficial also for other countries, although you might not see so many patients. But once you see one, it'll be helpful. Yeah. yeah? I think. Now, medical education can be quite different from region to region. And the question here, obviously, is the exams, right? And how can you prepare for these exams and how important are these exams and how important is it that you make a good grade in the end and things like that? So that changes the dynamics at hand quite a bit for the respective student. And that can mean that the resources that you use to prepare for those exams really need to be super localized, yes. Overall, I think when we look into the world of physicians, again, I do think it might not differ so much in the knowledge that we need to practice medicine, but the local standards or or the local population or the local prevalences can obviously differ and then put different emphases on on the topics.
0: That's exactly what we were talking about before, right? That's the human touch. That's getting in touch with the community and knowing their personal struggles, their differences from their community to a different community. Yeah, I totally agree. That's like the topping, right? You can build the foundation with universal medical knowledge and you can take it all together and the human body is pretty much the same everywhere, but then it changes from region to region with these guidelines, with these prevalences. Just because you touched on the guidelines,
1: I do think with the guidelines, ambas orients itself towards the US guidelines. So I think these are a role model for a lot of other countries in the world. Yeah, So there's very high standards that are at play when creating those guidelines. And basically, the entire Western world is orienting themselves towards these guidelines. So the deviation should not be so big. Yeah, sometimes you have maybe equally effective approaches and one country decides for one approach, whereas another country for another approach. But like overall, it's about, you know, evidence-based medicines, or you cannot deny that there might be certain evidence. So here, the knowledge overall should be merging more and more towards like a unified kind of body of theoretical knowledge,
0: at least. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, like these are role models for many countries. And Mm -hmm. so it's a good one to fall back on, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So an article in the journal Medical Teacher from 2020 looked at Training Global Health Professionals. Two of the key takeaways that the authors found were, it remains challenging to balance local and global requirements in curriculum design, and adaptability is a key competency for future international medical practitioners. So, with these two in mind, since you've done international medical rotations, I was wondering if you had any advice for medical students to train themselves to be adaptable and to balance these local and global changes and differences in healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I think my answer would be super trivial and say,
1: you need to go abroad, right? You need to <laughs> do, uh, like, the more that you do of these rotations, the more different healthcare systems, um, styles of practice, problems of society, and so on, you will see. So I found it super enriching and enlightening to compare and contrast the German healthcare system against the Brazilian, against the Indian against the Swiss healthcare system and and practice. So, I think overall this helps you broaden obviously your horizon <laughs> to sound cliché, but it really does teach you that there are multiple ways in what we said earlier in applying the proven medical knowledge, right? Although let's assume for a second there was one standard medical knowledge, right? Yeah, with little deviations here and there the application of that can be very different based Mm -hmm. on the local standards and also the magnitude of problems that you will find in a Brazilian emergency unit will be vastly different from what you will find in a German emergency unit. So I think that helps everyone basically realize that there is more than this one system and that there are more solutions to the problems and that problems can also be very, very different. So it will make your perspective on healthcare more holistic, I think. And yeah.
0: and overall, I think that's a good thing to have. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So it's just about maximizing your exposure, right? See as many things as you can from different perspectives. And then I think that's also interesting. So I did some electives in Mombasa, Kenya, and Orkney, Scotland. And just comparing those healthcare systems is one thing. But let's even hypothetically say medical education was the same everywhere. Everyone's learning the same thing. You still have different needs and different resources, you know, like they didn't have a lot of things in Mombasa that they had in Scotland, but then it was much more rural up in these islands. So we didn't have access to a lot of things that we had in Kenya. So even if you trained everyone to be the perfect global physician with local touches, you still would run into differences in the putting it into practice, right? Because there's different resources and different needs in different places. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it
1: comes down to infrastructural components or factors that are not so easy to influence, obviously, from the single physician perspective, but are interesting to observe how they play out. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in your interviews and in talking with anyone who knows you, You always have a book recommendation, and I'm very curious to know what you're reading now, and also if you had any must-read books for medical students or anyone else out there. Mm -hmm. So I just finished The Power Law by Sebastian
1: Manaby, which is basically a book on kind of the evolution of venture capital when it started in the U.S., kind of like close to the semiconductor industry, and then how did it evolve from there to... Today, that might sound a bit boring, <laughs> it was not, <laughs> I, I think it is about basically how does venture capital create an environment that can foster these hugely disruptive innovations. Mm-hmm. And basically, what is the evolution of the incentives behind that fostering? And I found that very, very interesting. It started out very differently, like in the 50s and 60s, to where it is at now. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to the next book that where I would say I found it very, very enriching for me to read it while I was in medical school. I like to read a lot about the history of medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there's always, again, this puts you into perspective of where we are today and where we were maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And it's unbelievable where we were 100 years ago in terms of practical medicine. But what does that mean for the future, right? Like how will we look back at today in 50 years or 100 years from now? And what we would think about the standards that we have today, which we think are super high, but could be very different in that time, right? And there's one book that I read. It's called The Century of the Surgeons. That's the title in German. That was a fascinating read on the time from 1870 or so to 1920, 30, maybe. Mm -hmm. And like they invented anesthesia. In that time so there was no anesthesia before they discovered bacteria and yeah. the concept of asepsis and mm-hmm. antisepsis in that time so imagine how, how that looked very very different before yeah. those things were discovered basically and and there was a lot of resistance to all of these discoveries to be implemented into the actual medical curriculum so now Translate that to what you might be thinking is a problem in healthcare, and that everyone says, "Yeah, but it's always been like this, and you are yeah. never going to change it." Yeah. Maybe
0: yeah. you can you can question that a bit. Yeah, talk about disrupting medicine, inventing anesthesia—that's a pretty big disruption, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. I like to get that perspective too, and I think that's something that a lot of students miss out on now we kind of take it for granted that we've always had these tests you can do in the clinic and all of these diseases we've always known about. But like so many of them have been discovered in the last 50, 20, 10 years. And I think that kind of gets lost from the educators to the students. Mm -hmm. You know, when they learned it, this wasn't around. This wasn't in textbooks. And it Mm -hmm. has been discovered between when they were students and when they were teaching students. And I think that Mm -hmm. is so hugely Mm -hmm. powerful to the students to learn how fast we're learning these things and they can get you excited about medicine. And maybe just to add to this, I mean,
1: sometimes you still find those practices that have been discovered at some point are still used today. Yeah. And no one knows how they really work. Yeah. Yeah. Like proper fall, there are three yeah. or four theories how that really works and how it makes you fall asleep but no one knows and like someone came up with this at some point in time yeah and it's used
0: daily like heavily in every hospital and no one knows how it works kind of scary i think if you dive more into that i think it can really really open your eyes all the Mm -hmm. history and all the innovations and all the things we don't know and all the things we're going to learn in the next 50 100 years yeah
1: yeah and if it does one thing which i think would be very favorable is like if it makes you question the standard quo at least a bit then i think the work is done that's the first step and that i think is what we should be doing more absolutely
0: wow this has been really excellent and i always end the episodes with a question if you could give our listeners any advice beyond the textbook besides all of the great advice you've already given what would you say i would say Try out a lot of things as long as you can do it. And
1: in medical school, it might be a time where this could still be the case. Yeah, You still have a lot of freedom, although you might have a packed curriculum and, and things like this. But like go abroad, try out other things, do internships, whatever, stop, pause, whatever interests you, follow these interests. And maybe they will add up later to something and maybe not, but at least you've tried. And I think the time around medical school is very good to explore tons of things.
0: And it will never be so easy again. That's great advice. I think a lot of people fall into this trap of, I'll do it later. I'll just get through this. I'll do it when I'm done with school, when I'm settled down. It just gets busier, you know? Yeah. You might regret that. Yeah. yeah. So
1: will I regret not doing this when I'm 80 years old? And if the right. answer is yes,
0: then I should be doing it. Yeah. Well... Thank you so much for joining me today and for all of your excellent advice, sharing your tips and your thoughts. I really, really appreciate it. And I think our listeners are really going to benefit from all of this information, all this advice. So Seifert, thank you so much. Thank you, Tana. It was a pleasure to be here. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Amboss podcast. Today, we covered how medical education has changed, what changes might be on the way, and a lot of helpful advice for international medical students to keep in mind. The links in the description can give you a more in-depth understanding of these concepts. If you like this episode, please give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check out the Amboss platform for your medical studies and sign up for a free five-day trial at Amboss.com.